You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we're back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I'm joined by the million dollar man himself, the Hall of Famer, Ted DiBiase. Ted, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot, Marcus. How are you? I'm doing well. I've missed you. I know that our listeners missed you last week. We wound up doing yeah. a, a, a YouTube best of, but you've had a lot going on. We were struck by a couple tragedies here in the wrestling world, and uh, I know that you were off paying your respects, yeah. right? Uh, boy, I, uh, I went to. Uh, Gosh, two two funerals in a very short time. Terry Funk, who, uh, well, a lot of my closer friends and even other guys in the business realized my relationship with him. It was more of a uh, of a not, not just a wrestling mentor, but a, almost a brother. Terry Funk and his family, and 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 and, the, and his brother as well. I've just you know they've been a, like a family to me, and. Uh, and I know I knew he wasn't doing well, but I, I just I wasn't ready for him to die. And then, oh my gosh, if that's not bad enough, then then I get word that uh, my partner, Mike Rotunda's son, uh, uh, has a heart attack and dies. Just, just, just you know. And that's like, and I uh, I got on a plane and I flew to Tampa and I and I went to uh, I went to his funeral. And, and that was, it was sad. I mean, it really was, you know, I, uh, I talked to Mike briefly, you know, uh, obviously, you know, you know, he was happy that I was there, but, um, you know, I, I mean, I wanted to give him a little room, you know, before I called him again, because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, all, there's so much activity when you, a uh, funeral, especially when you got a lot of people like in our business coming in from out, out of town and all that other stuff. I mean, uh, Shane McMahon was there. Wow. Uh, you know, Vince's son was there. Um, and somebody said, somebody told me that they saw Stephanie and, you know, and triple H and, you know, you know, I was like, you know, I don't know how I would have missed that, you know, right. if they were, but anyway, that was, you know, I guess anything was possible, but, uh, went down there and of course another very good friend of mine, Steve Kern, I, 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 you know, he picked me up at the airport in Tampa and I spent the night with him and his wife. Uh, we all, we went to the funeral together. Uh, but you know, Wyndham was a great, just a great kid, man. I mean, he, he really was. And they were just getting ready to go back. 
you know, they were, they were supposed to start again in September and, and start up something new with him. And uh, now he's gone. Just, uh, Hey, you never know. You never do know. And I mean, just a couple really difficult losses here, not just for wrestling, but really for the world, a couple really great guys, influential yeah. guys and uh, man, Wyndham, especially with, with the age that he was at and the, the yeah. potential he still had the fact that he has young children at home. I mean, that's a, that's a tough loss. Yes. Uh, but, but Ted, I'm glad you were able to go and pay your respects and uh, you know, get to see some people, but you yeah. know, there a minute ago, you mentioned Steve Kern and, and right here before we got recording, you told me a pretty interesting story about Steve Kern and uh, some of the connectivity he has okay. uh, to you and your wife. And I was wondering if yeah. you could recount that for a little I would, bit. I would love to, you know, um, I met Steve in Atlanta and, uh, and when he, you know, that's, this is the first time I went and wrestled in the, for Georgia championship wrestling in 1981. And, um, I think I might've gone in late 80, but it was in 81. Uh, so Steve and I hit it off and, you know, he comes to Georgia and instead of renting an apartment, which is not a bad idea, but you know, if I didn't smart enough to do that, then maybe I would have, but he bought a house, so he made an investment. So he wasn't just paying rent every week. You know, when he left there, you know, he had a house to sell. Anyway, so, but his house was out in uh, the Stone Mountain area of, of, of Atlanta. And he says, so why don't you move out here, uh, get an apartment out here? And, and, and where I was was down down in like kind of South Atlanta near the airport. Wasn't a really nice area anyway. And so... Uh, I said, sure. So I, I found an apartment there. Uh, it's called Summit Creek Apartments. And, and so, uh, so we could, we could hook up and ride together eat more easily. So that was through that relationship. And I was, I was actually with him the night his first child was born. Wow. So anyway, uh, I'm sitting at the pool one day and, um, uh, I, I see this pretty little girl walking around a pool in a bikini and uh and my admired her from a distance and then you know uh obviously i'm not gonna she was with a group of people so you're, you're not gonna just walk up in there and go hi there uh i went back to my apartment i took a shower got cleaned up i was going somewhere to wrestle and it's funny i i got down to the to the uh one if i turn left i'm i'm, I'm leaving the apartment complex if I turn right, I'm going back towards the pool. I turn right. I go back. I park my car, and I'm, I'm I'm talking to myself, and I'm going, Ted, this is probably the most stupid thing you've ever done. <laughs> and so I'm walking around the pool, looking around as if I forgot something or I lost something, you know, <laughs> like maybe there's an out chance, outside chance I can meet this girl. And so Melanie told me later, she said, the guy who spoke up to me, she goes, he was the wrestling fan, you know? And, and so, he, and he says to me, he says, Hey, Ted, we've got a girl over here. Wants your autograph. And he, and he, you know, like, I guess it wasn't like a date, but you know, I, you know, like, I, I guess a bunch of them all worked together at, um, cause she was a, a checkout at a, at a grocery store anyway. Okay. And, uh, so it's a girl over here. Wants your autograph. She says, Hey Mel, you'd like to have Ted's autograph, wouldn't you? She, she wasn't even paying attention, you know, like she was in the pool with, you know, they were like, you know how when you get up on somebody's shoulders and they, they force around, try oh, to yeah. pull them down. Yeah, like a chicken were, fight. Yeah. And so she goes, autograph? She says, you know, I've never had an autograph. She goes, yeah, here, sign my visor. 
and her visor was all wet. And uh, even if it wasn't all wet, <laughs> I said, well, this is not going to work. Your visor is all wet. But if you'll follow me in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, the office, I'm sure they have stationery. And so I go, I can't believe this is happening. And so Melanie follows me in, into the uh, into the office. And uh, I said, what's your name? And she said, Melanie, but everybody calls me Mel. I said to Mel, the best looking girl at the pool, for sure. Triple exclamation points. And I dated it for 2681. I never did that ever. I mean, I, why would I date this autograph? You know, it's like 42681, you know, April of 26, 1981. Incredible. And uh, and so she she thanks me. She goes, she goes, what number are you? And I said, excuse me? She says, uh, so you play for the Atlanta Falcons, don't you? She thought I was a football player. <laughs> she had no idea. And uh and I said, no, I, I'm not a football player. She says, so, so why am I getting your autograph? I said, I'm a professional wrestler. And she goes, you mean like that fake stuff on TV? <laughs> and Marcus, I think you know by now, that's the worst thing you could say to a professional wrestler, that fake yep. stuff on TV. Uh, yeah, it's prearranged, but you know, if you understand what we do, uh, it's not so fake, but no, nothing. Anyway, about it. I said that I said, you know, you're probably the only person in the world who could ever say that to me and get away with it. <laughs> and I said, yes, I'm one of those guys. And so, uh, and so I said, well, this autograph is going to cost you. And she says, what? I said, just your phone number. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, I'm not in the habit of giving perfect strangers my phone number. And I said, okay, I mean, I understand that. And I said, but it's not like you don't know where I live, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I said, if you give me your phone number, I just, you know, give you a call maybe. And she says, okay. So she gives me her phone number. And uh, so I call her and we made arrangements to meet back at the pool. And she said, she told me later, she says, there was no way that I was just going to go out on a date with this guy that's six foot four, you know, 240 pounds, uh, you know, what we know without getting to know him better. <laughs> and so that's why she said, why don't we meet at the pool? And so we, we met back at the pool. We spent the whole day there. And I said, uh, so you want to go out for dinner tonight? And she says, yeah, sure. And so I think our first, our first, uh, date was to, Benny Hannes. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, but that's, that's how it all began. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, it was almost like we were inseparable after that every day. A really cool history with you guys. And it's, it's just yeah. interesting that, you know, without Steve Curran, you would have never met your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, that Steve, you know, as a friend, it was just my buddy. He says, Hey, you know, you owe me a lot. I said, what do you mean? I said, if it weren't for me, you'd never met your wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else is interesting too, is as you were telling me this story, you kind of wrapped it up by saying that, yeah, but then, you know, whenever I moved back to Georgia, um, you know, we moved into, you said it was her parents' house, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she lived close to where that apartment complex was and she would go there with friends that lived there 
or had connections there, you know, and, and they would just, they would go there for the afternoon or whatever, you, you know, as a group. Mm-hmm. And so it's just on one of those days I happened to be at poolside and, you know, the rest is fate. And I keep, I keep thinking about that when I pulled out and I stopped and I, I literally, I sat there for a minute. Do I go left and just, you know, blow it off and, and, and go to work or nah, you know, so I, I went back to the pool. It was, I'm telling you, it was just meant to be. So and between that and the fact that you wrote down the date randomly is uh, just really unique and cool. Like what a pivotal yeah. moment in your life. And you just yeah. happen to have the wherewithal to write down the date and mark this day uh, in your history. Yeah. You still have that note to this day, right? Yeah. Still have, you know, the, the, the autograph that I signed for, she's got in a, she's got in a frame hanging on a wall. So Un- unbelievable. And then, yeah. uh, and it transitions really well into our topic today because, you know, you had said that whenever you guys moved back to uh, Georgia there in 1983, that, that uh, you lived together. And that's our topic is when you moved uh, back to Georgia, leaving mid South, uh, you know, we had spoken, gosh, last month now or two months ago, it was two months ago, about July, 1983 in mid South. So we missed August because, you know, last month was jam packed here on the podcast, but we're making it up now. We're going to be talking about August and September of 1983 and your final matches in mid South and move back to the Georgia territory. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to John Alred for helping me locate some added information, because let me tell you, finding uh, finding a lot of wrestling detail and nuance from this era was really difficult. Uh, They have have a lot of stuff for the WWF from this time and and before, but, you know, smaller territories, it just was not out there. So shout out to that guy. Big help. Well, and I I hope I could be some help because, you know, like. You know, I'm going to be an old fart. You know, sometimes my memory is like, yeah, I mean, doing this podcast has helped me because a lot of the stuff you're digging up, I'm going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> Between the notes, and we've got four videos this week. We've got some visual and uh, mental aids. So uh, we'll we'll get through this thing. Uh, before we do get into the notes, though, though I do want to remind our listeners to get over to youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod and get subscribed. We've got stories that you will not hear on the podcast over there that we drop every single Monday as YouTube exclusive clips. We do giveaways over there. We have short little bite-sized videos from the podcast as well. So if you love what we're doing here, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Again, it's youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod. So Ted, as July ends, Jim Duggan and Magnum TA pull off a victory and take away your Mid-South tag team titles, but that is not enough for our old pal Hacksaw. He also declares in the first week of August that he intends to run you out of Mid-South wrestling as well. As we will soon discuss, you are going to be leaving Mid-South to head over to Georgia and Japan. Uh, So Ted, the last look the WCW fans got at you was of you being stretchered off after four pile drivers from the Freebirds in March 1981. Uh, you had been enjoying some really incredible success here in Mid-South, though, during this run. Um, now you're looking to return to Georgia. And I know that last time you were in Georgia, uh, it was you had you had actually struggled a little bit financially to the point where you had told me that JYD had uh, given you a little financial aid um, and on your way back into Mid-South. Uh, so, like, you know, after after experiencing this great success, you're like a red hot heel here in Mid-South. Why do you think you decided to make the return to Georgia? Was it uh, money incentivized? Well, I think one of the reasons, one of the things that may have played into this too is, of course, Melanie and I, Melanie and I get married and, um, you know, in, in Georgia, I was home every night. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I mean, I, I you know, I, we would go and wrestle and come back home. So I came back and slept in my own bed every night. Now, you know, this wasn't the case in Mid South. And so, you know, I, I think I think some of my reason for going back was to take Melanie back to a place where uh, she was comfortable. She knew her way around. She had friends. And, uh, and that, that was, I'm, I'm sure that was one of my major reasons for going back, you know, plus by this time, I think I had, I had, I'd gotten the deal in Japan. You know, I, I didn't mind making less money in Georgia because make going to Japan made up for it. And so, uh, I was making like what, two or three or sometimes four trips a year to Japan. Uh, and, and so when we went back to Atlanta, by this time, her dad had, Melanie's dad had retired and they went back to Mississippi where her mother was raised. You know, her mother was raised in, uh, Crystal Springs, Mississippi, which is about 40 miles South of, of Jackson. And, and so, you know, we went back and instead of getting an apartment, we lived in the, and the home Melanie basically grew up in. And her, her father was an executive with Sears. I mean, he went all he went all over the country building Sears buildings, uh, you know. And he was like the the guy in charge of all this stuff. But anyway, uh, that's why we went back to Atlanta. But me going to Japan and then coming back and having more time that way that helped a lot. So definitely makes sense and yeah you know especially if if bill watts was running you really hard and maybe not really necessarily willing to negotiate allowing you to get over there to japan a few times a year i mean if george is willing to it's man you got to take advantage of opportunities like that right yeah yeah now uh do you recall if it would have been jim i know that jim barnett was going to be out the door here later in 1983 but i think at this time he was still there do you recall negotiating with him at all uh no uh, you know, I don't think I ever had more than two conversations with Jeff Barnett. You know, I mean, I mean, basically he was told or, or Jim Barnett told whoever the booker was and the booker at first was Ole, but then when Ole left and Robert Fuller came in, Jim Barnett told Robert Fuller, get Ted DiBiase over. There's a chance he could be the next NWA world champion. So Robert Fuller and getting me over got himself over because he made us a tag team, and you know, and and of course, uh, you know, I like Robert personally, but he was a horrible booker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I remember right, uh, Jake and I had talked about this era a little bit, and Jake would actually he comes in right around the same time as you would here, and by the time he wraps up the following year, he had been helping out with booking. Uh, we'll talk about Georgia again here in a few minutes, but uh, let's quickly get caught up on August 1983 there in Mid-South. You're still teaming up with King Kong Bundy, and after scoring a pinfall against Tim Horner and Mr. Wrestling 2 with your loaded glove, you decide to try it again the next week against Magnum TA and Dr. Death, but Hacksaw interferes. He grabs the load from the glove and knocks you out with it, which allows Magnum to score the pinfall. Uh, Ted Magnum TA was just a young man at this stage, but man, yeah. brimming with brimming with potential. Did you see that early box office in him? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like uh, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like I, I tell I tell guys even and then when I go in because a lot of times 
guys with independent uh, organizations will have me come in if I happen to be in town and, and, and just share some stuff with their guys. And I tell them all, I said, you know, mechanically, you might be great. You know, you make the right moves, you do the right stuff. I said, but the one thing you can't give anybody is charisma. I'm sorry, but you either have it or you don't. And, you know, if you have it, you know, then you can, you know, you can, I guess you can make it greater, you know, uh, uh, by pouring it on, but you just can't give anybody charisma. I could see that in him. You know, I, I could see that, that, you know, that he was, he was destined to go some, go places. And it's just a shame that, you know, that he had the accident that he did because he'd have been big. He really would have been big. Yeah, I think, you know, Magnum is not necessarily considered like this great technical performer in the ring or anything of that nature. However, I mean, that look is irreplaceable. Uh, the the attitude and the uh, kind of aura that he has about him is irreplaceable. It's just he's just that guy. It was yeah. I mean, almost predetermined. You can even, even see it here like, OK, this guy's going to be a massive star. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Ted, I, I do also want to point out that you're not getting a ton of TV time here in August and not even a single promo for the entire month of August. Do you recall if Watts was upset at all about you departing from the territory or is this just standard stuff? If the guy's going to leave, keep him off. TV? Well, well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if Bill knows, obviously, if Bill knows I'm leaving, then, you know, you know, why, why invest anything more in you if you're, you're, if you're leaving? Bill Watts in my estimation is one of the brightest bookers and somebody who understands the psychology of what we do better than just about anybody I know. I mean, Bill, Bill's a brilliant guy. I mean, you know, you don't have to speak with him very long to tell just how, I mean, she's really, you know, he's got it. Ted and other couple guys with some incredible charisma are coming in here to uh, to Mid-South. They were about to go on to be huge stars, but at this time they were brand new to the business. The Road Warriors are here on Mid-South TV on September 3rd, and they lose to Jim Duggan and Magnum TA by DQ. Uh, Ted, I'm guessing that this would have been your first time around them because, like I said, they were brand new. They had just debuted in Georgia here recently. Uh, what were your early impressions of them? Uh, gosh, I mean – a couple of really nice guys, but when they first started, I didn't have a whole lot of hope for them. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, obviously two great, big, unbelievably built guys. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. It was kind of like, but you know what? They, they eventually got, they got it. They would establish a great legacy here yeah. in pro wrestling. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, like the builds like the two of those had at this time were kind of a new thing in pro wrestling, like these super muscular, giant, jacked up guys. I mean, yeah. at the time, are you like, OK, I guess this could be the direction that pro wrestling is moving in where everybody's got to be this bodybuilder type? Or what did you think? Uh, I never I never thought that. I mean, I know that. uh but I know, well, Vince, Vince McMahon, Vince personally, you know, you know, I mean, he, he had in the new office in Stanford on the first floor. I mean, he has a gym in the office that would be like, you could walk, you know, you could walk into a Gold's gym and everything that's in Gold's gym was in Vince's gym. Wow. I mean, that's how serious Vince was about training. 
And I, I remember one of the things he said to me, you know, when I first signed with him, you know, and I was going to be the million dollar man. He says, I, I want to see you. I want to, I, I said, I want to see you at the gym more. And I said, I got you. And I did it. And, uh, you know, I never got to be, uh, you know, and I never, it's kind of like, even if you watched, if you ever watched amateur wrestling, there's a lot of guys in amateur wrestling. They don't look like bodybuilders. No. And they're, and they're really wrestling. You know, my dad had a pretty good build, but he wasn't, you know, you know, he, he didn't look like Joe Atlas. Now, you know, obviously Vince liked that look, you know, but, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and I did make myself more visible in the gym and you know, I came along, but, you know, it was kind of like, I was, you know, I was old school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were technique oriented, you know, and, yeah. and fundamentals uh, yeah. and it worked, you know, yeah. uh, it worked for many years. Uh, so uh, I, I think that a lot of our fans are probably wondering, okay, if, if Hawk and Animal just made it, their debut in Georgia, what are they doing over here in Mid-South? Well, according to my research, one of Watts' first acts as owner of Mid-South was to withdraw any affiliation from NWA, but they still managed a loose relationship, which allowed crossovers like this to happen. So yeah. I, I know wrestling was kind of cutthroat at times, especially in the territory era. Uh, do you have any idea how a relationship like this could have worked? I, I don't know. Uh, you know I, ha I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it seems very uncharacteristic for somebody to say like, okay, well, we'll send our guys over there. It just must be an arrangement where they're like, yeah, we can kind of share guys and, you know, help each other out even though we're not affiliated with one another. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I guess business-wise, you know, even if you're not affiliated with an organization, uh, if you, I, I guess you could, you know, you, you could have an understanding with, okay, if, if we want to make a little trade out here or there now and then, you know, we can, you know, and, and again, you know, like, it's like, uh, and I, you know, one of the reasons that I was never <laughs> the NWA world champion is I went back to work for Bill, right? you know, and Bill was not affiliated with, with the NWA. So, you know, uh, you know, at the time that, you know, when I, First went to Georgia it's because Terry Funk told me, go to Georgia, get on that TV and get over. Mm -hmm. He's the names in the hat for possibly being uh, one of the next NWA world champions. So, like, I know that, you know, Jake says it all the time, and uh, Jim said, has said it to me before, too. Like, you know, having a belt, it's just like an extra thing you have to carry in your bag. It's like, you know, it, you're not actually winning it is, is sort of the idea. However, I know that a lot of guys look at uh, the NWA title as being this really prestigious belt. So, I mean, when you're coming back here in 1983 to Georgia, are you like, is, is that a goal of yours? Like win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship? The difference, I guess the difference here is that if you're the NWA World Champion, you're going from territory to territory. And you're going to each territory and spending probably a week or maybe two, and then you go to another territory, another territory, another territory, all the territories that were affiliated with NWA. And then after you've gone to all those territories, then you, you, you start back and you go back in. So you only see a world heavyweight title match occasionally. Mm. Now it's like, you know, you, you see the dang title matches every week. And it, to me, I'm sorry, but it, 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 uh, it weakens the value of the title. Totally agree. You know, if you see a if you see a world title match every week, well, so what? 
But back then, you you didn't see a, a world championship title match except maybe once every three months or four months. And being the NWA world champion, if you're that guy and you're traveling to all those territories and they're building up uh, a particular uh, baby face, because usually the NWA champion, the only place he was ever a baby face was just in, in his home territory. Mm. And for the Funks, that was Amarillo. And for 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 Harley Race, it was Kansas City. Uh, you know, for the Briscoes, it was Florida. You know, but everywhere else, they were heels. And big money. Uh, you know, not, that's, if you're the end of it's not so much, that is the, that you know, like, not all titles. Like, you know, like if, if I was the, uh, I was like the North American champion for Bill Watts. And I've actually got a replica of that belt. You know, uh, and, and so uh, I, I obviously didn't, uh, I didn't defend it every week, but, you know, much more often than you would see a world championship. Right. And so uh, what gave, what went along with that belt was a lot of money. Ah. Uh, yeah. If you're the NWA world champion, you're making the big bucks. So uh, with all that being said, the idea of when you're getting back to Georgia is not necessarily it's your goal to win that NWA World Heavyweight Championship, but it is your goal to make as much money as possible, which yeah. might include winning that championship, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. And speaking of what makes sense, let's take a minute to discuss our fantastic sponsor, Blue Chew. Are you ready to perform with the confidence of the million-dollar man in the bedroom? Are you ready to leave your partner feeling like a million bucks? Are you ready to get that thing so hard you couldn't turn the head with a pipe wrench? If the answer to those questions is yes, it's time for you to give Blue Chew a try. Blue Chew can help you increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts the most. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. Forget about those visits to the doctor's office, forget about the awkward conversations, and no more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But as we always say, there will be nothing discreet about your package. Men everywhere have never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. Listen, I know what your next question is because it would be my next question. Will it actually work? Well, why don't you try it for free and find out for yourself? Something free from the Million Dollar Man? That's right. You can try it right now for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. Place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts the most. Don't wait any longer. Chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring Everybody's Got a Pod. Um, yeah. Well, so on the same episode where the Road Warriors come in, you're going to address Jim's interference in your match the prior week by issuing a challenge. That'll be our first clip this week. 
People out there know that Ted DiBiase has been the big cheese, the main man in Mid-South Wrestling for over two years. And this thing with Hacksaw Duggan and I has come to a boil. I've had it right up to here with you, Duggan. All these cheap victories that you're claiming over me, claiming over me. Outside interference, what happened here last week on television was the icing on the cake, Duggan. I want to settle this thing once and for all. You've, you've interfered with my, my lifestyle, everything I do. You've interfered with my pocketbook, Duggan. Right here on television. It's you or me. I want it here right here next week. And if I don't beat you, Duggan, I'll pack my bag and I'll leave Mid-South. So there it is. The uh, <laughs> the seeds are planted. And pretty funny here, uh, what, what really stood out to me was that you referenced money. And, I mean, with what's to come here for your career, it's just amusing that that, that would be kind of the Yeah, direction. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're affecting my pocketbook, Duggan. <laughs> right, right. It's yeah. a, it just kind of works perfectly. Uh, uh, I know that you and Jim are close, so it had to be pretty nice getting to wrap up your run here in Mid South with your with your pal, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Jim and I have become good, very good friends, and we we still are to this day. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, but when Jim first, I mean, I was there when Jim first started. Oh my gosh. And he's, 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 he's hot off of the football field. You know, he, he had just come out of the NFL. Yep. And, uh, it's kind of like you had to remind him every now and then that it's a work, <laughs> you know, we're not really punching each other. <laughs> I've heard loosen, the same up, Jim, loosen up <laughs> i've heard the same thing about dr death when he first came around like guys oh, are, oh yeah yeah doc too yeah oh, oh man a couple big rough dudes oh yeah oh yeah absolutely well so uh speaking of wrapping up that's what we're gonna do here in pretty chaotic fashion let's check out the end of your loser leaves town or uh rather your loser leaves mid-south match here for our second clip this week i have never heard of jim he reversed it he reversed he's got dibiase's figure four reversed he reversed dibiase's figure four dibiase's in pain now the referee asking dibiase there's the road warriors there's the road warriors boy the Road Warriors are pounding. They're pounding Nugent. The Road Warriors are pounding Nugent. Looks like DiBiase had himself a safety valve, a backup. Now look at him. They're holding him. They're holding Nugent. Nugent's fought to his feet. Now they're holding for DiBiase. Look at DiBiase. He's got the both of them holding. He's slapping Nugent. The worst insult. He's slapping Nugent. He's slapping him. Ted DiBiase's taunting and slamming Jim Duggan's helpless with the two powerful. Here goes Magnum TA and Rick Rude that the Road Warriors catch him coming. Now DiBiase picks Jim Duggan up to put the Cooney draw on him. DiBiase picks him up to put the Cooney draw on him. DiBiase loads up. DiBiase loads up. There's a dog. There's a junkyard dog. Oh, gosh, he just, whoo, he splattered Dibiase. The road warrior got him. The back front, everything that's available, the dog is putting it on him, Bill. But there's, the road warrior's got dog from behind. Now Dibiase's got the board. 
DiBiase's got that board and it looks like he's gonna put JYD out. Looks like DiBiase's gonna really tee off on Dugan. Dugan speared him. Dugan speared him, boys. Now Dugan's got the board. Now Tide has turned. Oh, boy. Boy, look at that. Dugan is putting it to him. King Rats getting it. Look at JYD's pitching. And Dugan's gonna be hitting home runs. Boy, I can't believe they're actually here. The dog threw him in and Dugan laid it on him. A home run for Axel Jim Dugan. And now Ted DiBiase has got no disqualification, boy. No, no disqualification. No dis. Well, there it is. One, two. Great brother, Dugan one, Dugan the winner. Dugan threw the board down and, and jumped right on him. Dog. Look at the hard dog. It's hurt. You can still see how hurt dog is. But his heart came. He couldn't let Dugan go down to that kind of beating. Ted DiBiase, by his own words, will have to pack his bag and leave Mid-South. <laughs> That's it. The end of another run in Mid-South. How about oh, that? What, 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 what month was that? Do you remember? That is September of 1983, so 40 years ago around this time. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow, wow, wow. Man, yeah, probably the first time you've ever seen that back, I would guess. It's a, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, it, it's I funny. My brother, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I said, I guess I looked a lot different then. Yeah, so like, I'm, you know, it's like and then now we're back to the, the I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. My, my brother and I were just talking about this how you know, like a lot of the wrestling that we would see back in the day, you would see it once and that's it. You know, so we grew up during the Monday Night Wars era. We would see Nitro or Raw and then, OK, that's it. And it's just a memory. They don't really yeah. do replays. They'll do like a replay that night. But, yeah. you know, there was no WWE Network. So, like, it's got to be interesting for you seeing a lot of these old clips from yeah. Mid-South, because I would guess that most of them probably you haven't, you know, gone out of your way to find on, on the Internet. No, right? no. I mean, I guess I guess they're there, right? Yep. They're out there. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, yeah, I wonder who. I wonder who owns all that. I know. And I, I know Bill. Bill made a lot of money selling his stuff. I think he did. <laughs> uh, so it wound up going to Turner. Uh, eventually bought all the Mid South stuff, and then uh, Vince bought Turner. So all of it is owned by WWE now. Wow. Yep. Wow. Uh, but so, I mean, here you go. You're about to go debut on that Turner TV in Georgia. Uh, any hesitance to leave Mid-South behind after this really crazy successful run that you had? Or is it just kind of the name of the game? You move on to different territories. Well, it was, you know, I mean, I think it was more of a, it was a move, uh, a family move, you know, again, I mean, I, you know, it's like, yeah, Melanie and I got married, uh, like I said, New Year's Eve, 81. And I was in Mid-South all that time. So this is 83, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Georgia. And I really went back to Georgia more, you know, I think for my marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, I wanted to her, you know, to be around some of her old friends and things like that, you know. And uh, uh, just to, you know, not not – you know, with me gone all the time. I mean, you think about that. I mean, we get married, you know, she doesn't know wrestling and, and I, I, you can explain it to him, but you know, uh, Hey, I was home every night in Georgia and, uh, it was just, I think I needed that again, uh, you know, for, for a while. Cause just mid South was just, wow. 
you know, you were, you weren't gone every night, but there were a lot of nights you were gone, you know? And so now we're back in Georgia and what I am doing, you know, again, which takes me away is trips to Japan. I would be like, you, you would go to Japan. You're there. You're gone three total weeks or sometimes five total weeks, you know, before you get home, the money's real good, but you know, you're still, you're gone. Right. So, uh, and I, and I, because I, I had hoped and we had you know, believed that if she went back to Atlanta, she still had a lot of friends there. Well, she still had a lot of friends there, but all of her friends were still single. And she, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you're married now and you have a child to take care of, everything changes. Yep. You know, so ultimately <laughs> we went, we went back to Mid South. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you've, you've said here on the show before, it's kind of like, and no matter where you would stray, you kind of always gravitated back toward Mid-South eventually. Um, it might be a silly question, Ted, but I think it's worth asking. Uh, what, do you think that Watts would have given you a little extra money for your final appearance here? Uh, let me justify that question. It, it kind of feels like he'd want to maintain a good relationship with you and leave the door wide open for a possible return to his territory. Uh, would that have been common practice back in those days or not so much? Yeah, not so much. I don't think so. Uh -uh. I mean, you know, I mean, it was like those are the days where, you know, I mean, uh, the promoters, you know, they had you by the, it's like, you know, if you want to work for, work for me, okay. And, and there was no written contract, you know, I mean, you know, like, you know, of course I could have like, I just, you know, said, uh, screw you, I'm leaving and left, but then, then I would have never been able to go back. Right. Uh, but you know, no, no, but nobody had contracts like that back then. I think that's an interesting note for our, our fans here. I mean, here you are, you're doing the job for, uh, for Duggan on the way out the door, which is the right way to do business. Yeah. But like you didn't have to, nothing, nothing was forcing you to do that. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the right, it's the right thing to do. And, 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 you know, relationship wise, you know, with, with, with Bill, I mean, you don't want to be a hard butt, but you know, I'm leaving the territory. So why not? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, why, you know, it's kind of like if, if I'm leaving, then, you know, uh, uh, do I, you know, why not do the favor for somebody that's going to help promote them and, 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 and move, move that organization forward? You know, because I can, I always know that, you know, down the road I can come back, you know, and I'll, I'll have that same relationship with the boss. And, and, you know, when I come back, then I start winning again. Right. The right thing to do, not just for Bill Watts, but also your buddies with Jim Duggan. So why not yeah, put him over? Absolutely. Make him yeah. Well, it's kind of like what, what's, what's best for business, mm -hmm. you know, like, and too many guys, you know, uh, get their own personal thing. It's, it's like. You know, like wrestling is a business and you got to do what's right for business. You know, it's like, it's not always about what's, you know, best for you uh, necessarily. Of course, it depends on where you are on that, on the, on the, on the ladder. You know, are you, are you a top guy? Or are you a middle guy? Or are you an opener? Uh, all those things play into it. You arrived at GCW to take on Joe Lightfoot following your Mid-South departure. And I have the final moments of the match and the post-match interview as our next clip this week. BBS, up on that second rope. 
foot, catching the back of the elbow, being driven back to the canvas again. And DiBiase very much in uh, control of things at this particular moment. Irish trip into the far turnbuckle, and it's uh, Lightfoot. Good reversal by Lightfoot and Lightfoot. He's not down and he's not out, and those tomahawk shots are taking their toll. using that hand to good advantage, Gordon, because uh, Lightfoot looked like he had him going, and then that hand came up, and Lightfoot was down. Well, I should be very, very curious to find out the Beautifully executed power slam. Beautifully executed power slam. Can't argue that at all. Really can't. We're going to see that again in uh, slow motion. You'll see what we're talking about with this uh, perfectly executed power slam. Watch DiBiase. Whip off the rope, scoops him coming off, and notice the perfect coordination of body and mind here as he brought him down into a perfect power slam and uh, scores the pinfall. Ted DiBiase has joined me, and uh, may I first of all welcome you back to uh, World Championship Wrestling. It's been quite a while. Well, Gordon, it's always a pleasure to come back where the action is, and certainly the action is here in World Championship Wrestling. As you and all the people out there know, to be number one in professional wrestling, you got to stay on top of it. You got to be a winner, and you got to go where the action is and where the best is. And that's why I'm back here. May I ask you this? Because um, I have never seen you wearing a, a glove uh, before, uh, and I heard that uh, you've had a uh, suffered a hand injury. Is that correct? That's correct, Gordon. I wear the glove on my hand to guard against any further injury to an already injured hand. I have recovered from it, but not to the point where. I can go without the glove. I see. Well, I've noticed one other thing, too. You seem to be a lot more aggressive than you used to be. Gordon, the old saying, Leah DeRocher said it, nice guys finish last. And all you people here, and you know, years ago here, right here in this studio, I was dropped on my head. Why? And in the hospital, why? Because I was a nice guy. I hurt this hand because I was a nice guy. Well, there's only one way to be on top and to take the money and that's to be a winner and as far as I'm concerned the only way to stay on top is win and whatever that takes is exactly what I'm going to do. Ted your your return promo here was a lot of fun and it's kind of hard to tell right out of the gate if you're a heel or a baby face. Uh, Gordon referenced your added aggression here though so the scenes were, scenes were definitely being planted for a big heel run. Uh, Ted, I guess the first question I have to ask you about is Gordon. Jim Ross considers him uh, one of the best. I know that a lot of people say uh, Lance Russell was is, is one of the best. But, I mean, if you had to select one, Ted, who's your greatest of all time? Jim Ross? Uh, yeah, I think, well, yeah. Jim, I mean, like, Jim was groomed by Bill Watts. So, yeah, I think Jim was one of the best of all time. Hard to get much better than Jim. That's yeah, for sure. because I mean, you know, he, you know, he didn't just he 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 all he he knew the story behind the match. Yes, you know, whatever the match was, and so obviously that helped him call the match in, in a way where, you know, you you plant things in the in the in the fans that you want them to think. 
the other interesting thing about Jim is that if even if a, a match had a bad story or a story that wasn't quite working, he'd kind of bring the best out of it, where yeah. uh, just yeah. the way that he would put it over and react, it, it worked. Yeah. Um, well, joining Jordan on, uh, Gordon on commentary during this match is Ole Anderson, who we touched on a little bit before there. Uh, he's booking GCW at this time. I've heard a lot about Ole over the years, Ted, and not all of it is positive. I'm wondering what your relationship with Ole was like. You know, I, I never had any problem with Ole, but of course, I wasn't around Ole that often. Okay. And you know, I don't think Ole had a chance to book me very much, that's for sure. Because like when I was going into Atlanta, he was just leaving. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it would be shortly after you arrived. I, I want to say it was it was going to be around spring or or maybe just early 1984, he'd be gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember if you had a lot of input when you're coming in the doors to the direction of your character or what you're going to be doing, or is it just you show up, they tell you what to do, and that's that? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think anybody, I don't care who you were, had a lot of input as to what your character does. I mean, you might have some, uh, you know, like especially when I became the Million Dollar Man, that 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 type of thing. Uh, obviously there's going to be some input there and, and, and some, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't remember ever having <laughs> to have that conversation with anybody about, you know, what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. I mean, you know, what I was going to do in terms of uh, who's going to win, who's going to, who's going to lose and in, input on, you can have input on the match. Like, you know, Hey, how about we do the finish this way or that way? But whether you were going to win or you were going to lose was never your choice. You know, I, I work on Arne Anderson's podcast as well. And he says all the time, I didn't know I could say no. You know, he, somebody would just tell him to do something and say, well, yeah. that's even if it was bad, he'd be like, he'd think to himself like, well, that sucks, but I'm just going to yeah. go give it my uh, best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, and that's just it. It's like, okay, if you don't want to do what I tell you, there's the door. Back in the day uh, when the uh -huh. promoters had all the leverage, right? That's right. <laughs> um, well, all, the <laughs> all the leverage. Our pal Jake Roberts returns to Georgia at this time, and he's about to start a big run as a member of Legion of Doom and have some of his greatest matches of his career against Ronnie Garvin. Uh, so I know that you and Jake had spent a little time together before when he was just a young man in the business, and I, I think that he was a ref for a couple of your matches back in the day. I know that you can you regard him as you know one of your, your greatest opponents ever, uh, one of the guys that you love working with the most. I mean, he's still pretty young here at this time, but now all of a sudden he's going from just being like kind of a generic cowboy-type character Character to this kind of like really sinister, uh, you know, sleazeball type dangerous guy. Uh, wondering if you started to see the the early potential in Jake uh, around this time. Oh yeah, of, of course. I mean, you know, I always saw potential in Jake, but you know, when when he, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Jake, Jake, give him my microphone. Jake can do anything. He, he is great on the microphone. Absolutely, hands down, one of the best, bar not. Hard to compare Jake to anybody because he was just so damn good. Uh, and it, it was so effortless for him all the time. Yeah, and just the way he would explain things and you know, make you think. It was, yeah, he was yeah, great, obviously. Super outside the box. Amen. 
Well, if there was any mystery surrounding whether or not you were a heel, all that went out the window the following week. You would ruthlessly beat up an enhancement guy and refuse to pin him so you can inflict more punishment. And after the match, you call out Tommy Rich, and it'll kick off a rivalry that fans ask about all the time online on our uh, Ask Ted Anything posts. Ted, prior to this, had you ever met or spent any time with, with Tommy Rich? Not a lot. I mean, you know, I, I when I first went to Atlanta, I, I think Tommy wasn't there when I first got there. And I, then he came back. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I remember it. And, I mean, I hit it off with Tommy from the get-go. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I saw his talent. I mean, it was, I mean, charisma. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had it all. Good on the microphone. Good in the ring. Yeah. I, no, no, uh, I don't have anything negative to say about Tommy. No, and that's that's pretty much the sentiment from everybody is just like, man, great guy, hell of a worker. You know, it's uh, and I mean, this rivalry that you guys were about to start here is going to be iconic. Uh, but first, Ted, you had a little business to take care of in Japan. So to explain your absence, GCW is a fun angle at the Omni, which we'll watch back as our final clip this week. You know, everybody from time to time gets carried away, but Ted DiBiase is just taking a dance degree. We're going to see a little film here uh, involving he and Tommy Rich, and, and we'll be talking about it. And you'll see that uh, DiBiase has just gone to great lengths to destroy Tommy Rich. And in the process, uh, he's caused himself a little problems. You remember, Gordon, before he said a 5000 or 2000 or whatever it happened to be fine, he didn't care about. Well, he's got another fine levied on him for $5,000. But in addition to that, he's been suspended from World Championship Wrestling for a period of 30 days. And here's exactly why. Now watch, uh, Rich gets him into an inside cradle. He starts the count. It was only a two count. But now watch DiBiase as he comes back after Rich, using the flat of the foot. At this point in time, uh, these two men have been uh, on a pretty fair and equal exchange. But uh, we're going to see in just a couple of moments uh, the, the transformation in this man, DiBiase, the kind of individual that he has become, and uh, win at any cost. And that's exactly what he has in mind here again, the referee warning him about you. Watch right here, here, Gordon. You'll see him start to adjust that glove. Now, actually, there's nothing in, the, in itself that's incriminating except the fact that he's doing it. When we tried to check it or anybody was after it, uh, he wouldn't let anybody come close to that glove. Uh, he refused to come to the uh, Board of Inquiry. Uh, there was only one choice left. He cannot tolerate that sort of activity, and he was then suspended. Just keep on watching. Right now, he's not satisfied that the match is over. Tommy Rich is on the outside. Another adjustment on that glove, too. Yes, you're right. Now, here comes Ted DiBiase on the apron. At first, as I spoke to the referee, he said he thought DiBiase at least was going to respect the fact that Tommy was on the outside. As you can see, that was an erroneous assumption. He pushes the referee, another violation. It's just one after another as far as Mr. DiBiase is concerned. And yet the man is an outstanding athlete. This is the uh, uh, the shame of the situation that he has such an impressive background as an amateur. And up until uh, his recent return here to World Championship Wrestling uh, was a highly respected, uh, well-qualified competitor. Now bodily manhandling the referee. And uh, the second referee comes in. Now the ring begins to fill up with men who are concerned about the situation. Uh, Tommy uh, Rich's face, a crimson mask, and again, it's DiBiase now delivering a pile driver after the match is over, after the bell had rung, and after other men had tried to uh, 
restrain him. And of course, this is what led to the, uh, the suspension and the $5,000 fine. Certainly, I think World Championship Wrestling was absolutely correct. So there it is. You're gone, and yourself and Tommy are perfectly set up to continue the rivalry uh, when you make your return. But uh, really perfectly done angle here. You know, you wind up getting a lot of heat on Tommy. You kind of go a little bit overboard there in the Omni. And uh, as a result, you are suspended from GCW, which uh, will explain your absence there in All Japan really perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ted, you'd returned to All Japan on the 30th of September to score a victory over Mighty Inoue in the Giant Series. And that topic will be something we'll go on to discuss very soon here on the show. For now, though, Ted, I'm curious. We know that you'd go on to make some huge money in Japan as a tag team partner for Stan Hansen. But at this time, what was the incentive in doing a tour there? I mean, you had just returned to GCW and were getting really heavily featured on national TV. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us about the motivation for uh, another well, Japan run. Well, I mean, uh, money. <laughs> 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 the million-dollar man's uh, talking again. I mean, you know, like when you went on tour in Japan, uh, the only thing you paid for was your food. Wow. Everything else, your hotel, transportation, everything, airfare, hotel, everything else was paid for. All you bought was your food and, and, and the money, the money aspect of going to Japan. Uh, you know, I, I can remember when, uh, I was, I was making, I was making a grand a night. You know, that was, that was about the time I was, course i was with hansen when that when that was going on but the incentive was it's kind of like uh i mean the, the first time i went to japan uh i think i made a thousand dollars a week okay but i didn't spend anything except food yeah. the only money i spent out of pocket was to eat i mean so you i mean it's, you go to you go make some money and you can save most of what you make because you don't have to spend much. It's great. You know, that makes a big, Plus, big difference. You, you know, you weren't, you know, you, you, uh, each like the, the baby faces had a bus and the heels had a bus and you get on your bus and you go, you don't have to worry about driving. You don't have to worry about, you know, how, how many miles is it? Where are we going? And all that other stuff. You just get on the bus and ride. Pretty good arrangement, I gotta say. Yeah, I, I loved it. And yeah, it's even if you were only making a thousand dollars a week here at this time, it's like okay. But if you're if you're not spending any money the whole time that you're there, except for on food, uh, man, it's you're gonna wind yeah, up coming home with a chunk of change. The time I'm talking about is like the first time I went to Japan. Okay, I started the summer of '75, and. Um, it was it was a year I think about a year later so I think my first trip to Japan was it was either in seventy five or seventy six and I you know I, you know I was I was just a young guy and I, I wasn't anybody that was figured in at the time but it was just a, good, a great opportunity the first time I went I went off on a five week tour so you know like uh, you know I was making I made I made five grand well that's nineteen seventy never uh, seventy five or seventy six. That's making five grand without spending anything except what you eat. You know, so that was pretty good. That was like, you know, I couldn't do that at home. 
And five grand, I mean, a thousand dollars a week in 1976 is some really, really good money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, could, certainly understandable why you go over there. Plus, it's a new country, and uh, I love sushi, so I'm I'm sure I would have loved. Yeah, it. yeah, and of course, you know, again, the funk influence. I mean, uh, the funks, I think, by and large, booked all Japan pro wrestling for Baba. In other words, they were the they were the bookers of the 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 American talent that went to Japan for, for giant Baba for all Japan pro wrestling. And then, you know, because all Japan was it. And then the, uh, uh, the guy in Noki is the wrestler who broke away from all Japan and started new Japan. So then right. there were two promotions. I never worked for Inoki. I always worked for uh, giant Baba. <laughs> And man, a lot of history there, and we'll cover some of it here coming up on the show. That's going to do it for this week, and we will be back next week with another show. Uh, but before we go, I do want to remind you all that if you'd like to get this podcast on video with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports, entertainment, and other shows, get over to PremierStreamingNetwork.com, sign up for Premier Plus. If you're a wrestling fan or just a fan of sports in general, you're just going to love what they're doing over there. I can pretty much guarantee it. Again, it's PremierStreamingNetwork.com. If you're enjoying our show and you're listening on your podcast app, please do us a favor and like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. That helps out Ted and I a bunch. Also, follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase on his social media. Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on X and follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on X and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Ted, a fun look back here 40 years to uh, your final days in Mid-South in 1983 and, uh, and a new journey there in, in Georgia. Awesome. Very good. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to do more of it with you next week, my friend. I can't either. But until then, just remember, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> we'll catch you guys week. next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod. <laughs>